Welcome aboard the Chronosphere. This is your pilot, Daniel French. Please put your seat in the fully reclined position. Get ready for Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished, Volume 4. In this volume, we're going to introduce you to Agapantha, whose story crosses over as we go. And we're going to hear Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished, Episodes 10 and 11. Sharpen your sword or notch an arrow, whatever you do to get ready. Here we go. Keep the boat steady, Agapantha. I'd hate to lose any of these huge, beautiful lobsters. Yeah, our hands are busy with sea bugs tonight. There's that curious old dogfish, no doubt wanting to try to score some of our haul. I have to remember to give that dogfish a name. We'll be naming him Supper if I have my way. There he goes. I guess he found something else to chase. Goodness, Grandpa, what a beautiful summer evening. Every trap has a lobster in it, and they're all huge. The biggest lobsters we've ever caught. Truly fortunate, Agapanta. I've never seen so many huge lobsters in one harvest. I'm worried these won't be the tastiest lobsters, though. In order to be this big, they must be very old. That's something that's got me a little bit intrigued, Agapanta. These huge lobsters, they're, they're very young. These are young, huge lobsters. I've never seen a lobster this young and so big. Grandpa, this trap is broken. The lobster was caught and it broke out. That is truly interesting, Agapantha. I have never seen a lobster break out of a trap before. I wish Aunt Sully was here to see this. Grandpa, tell me she's going to be here for my birthday tomorrow. Agapantha, Sully's been out wandering the lands for some time now. I have no idea how to contact her. Oh, I wish she could be here. Remember when you would tell us stories of the war? When you were the greatest pikeman? Please tell me another story, Grandpa. I think you've heard them all, Agapantha. From my early days with the four-foot pike, all the way to the upfronts with my eight-foot pike. As you know, a good pikeman is an underrated profession in the wars. I saw a pikeman in town today. There was a couple guardsmen from Hosto looking for Simon O'Tainer. For my birthday, Grandpa, can I finally graduate to the eight-foot pike? Agapantha, you don't have any war or fighting experience yet. Plus, I have plans for you. You should stick with the four-foot pike. When I got my Medal of Honor from the king himself, it was from a battle when I fought with Four-Foot Pike, and I protected the battle ramsmen that were sieging the gates. And don't forget, the weakness of an Eight-Foot Pike is even if the shaft is made of the finest oak, a strong hit from a mace or a hammer will break it. I would want a pike of solid iron if I had the strength to wield it. Well, Agapantha, not to spoil your birthday, but when I was young, in that war, the king rewarded me with a steel pike. A four-foot pike of steel that when in close quarters I could use to battle sword, mace, and axe. You've become quite the good pikesman, Agapantha. And tomorrow, for your birthday, that pike becomes yours. Thank you. 
I can't believe it. You're the best. Grandpa and his lobster's claw. What is this? It's a ring. It's beautiful silver with red swirly striations. It is beautiful, Agapanther. But it makes this night even more odd. There's something strange about that ring. It's too clean. It looks new. You'd think it'd be tarnished pulling it out of the ocean. May I keep it, Grandpa? Of course you can, Agapantha. You found it. But mind you, wear it on a necklace. Don't put it on your finger. There's something odd here. There's that dogfish again. Coming after our lobsters. One day I'm going to spear that little shark. Grandpa, I saw something crest the waters, and it was not a dogfish. It was a shape I've never seen come out of the water before. Look, there it is again. Lords of light, Agapantha, that's a tentacle. You mean from an octopus or- Hi, Agapantha. Truly strange that an octopus would be in this lagoon where we trap lobsters. There it is again, Grandpa. That was odd. I've never seen anything like that before. Hi, Agapantha. I think it's time for us to be going ashore. That is no normal tentacle in place of some of the suction cups. That tentacle has eyes. Night was elderly in the wasted cadaver. A sign reading, close for remodeling, hung from the locked front door. And lanterns illuminated the main room. Burly armed guards leaned against the door frame outside. Eyes drowsily scanning the street. Tables and chairs were pushed to the outskirts of the room against the walls. Various bags, boxes, and tools took their place, and scraps of wood and metal lie in a neat pile on the floor. The area resembled a workshop more than a congenial inn. Wither wore an apron over his usual suit, stained with unknown oils and marked with a history of inventive workmanship. He knelt behind the bar, gently poking and prodding various planks and panels. Smoke from a short, stout pipe carved into a wormy, toothy creature threaded into the air above him. He reached up to the countertop, grabbed a tankard, and took a deep pull. Our tag was similarly donned, sweeping the last of the detritus into the refuse pile. Professor, your ingenuity never ceases to amaze me. The work you've done is exquisite. It makes the adjustments you made last time little more than mule farts in the wind. I never regret to purchase from the good professor. Satisfied with the results of his prodding, Wither stood with a gleaming, smoky grin. Such is the nature of the scholar and experimenter, old boy, ever improving upon designs and machinations. The wasted cadaver should suffice as a bastion of comfort and security for years to come indeed. I hope so. I've never once had to resort to your clever precautions, but tensions as they are an Essel ring, there's no doubt to their necessity. Thanks again for the discount as well. For a man with your refined quality, prices need not be exorbitant. Still, 
You paid for quality, and I guarantee there are none better in the kingdoms. The immediate need for the installation has me peaked, old boy. I dearly hope I'm present when the necessity arises. Artag noticed a panel in the floor in front of the bar, about twice as wide as his shoulders, floating just above the floor level at an angle facing the front door. I got one loose here, Professor. Indeed. Let me fix that for you, old boy. A slight adjustment, and it'll be right as rain. Wither stepped over to the panel and knelt. He pulled it up slightly and reached into the space below it with a tool like a wrench. After a few twists, he pushed the panel back down as if it were on a hinge. It clicked into place. He walked over it several times, then puffed with contentment. Your comrades have been gone for a long time. You wouldn't suppose they're in some sort of trouble, are they? Where Gafgon goes, old boy? Trouble is destined to follow. Suddenly the door burst open. Aleda stumbled in, followed by a haggard Harden, both with weapons in hand and sweat about their brows. Their breaths were heavy with the effort of flight. Harden made sure the door closed tight behind them. The guards outside looking sharply for any pursuers. <sighs> Sit down. Before you bring Coscadil the clawed self down on us, Harden cursed, punctuating his frustration with the sheathing of his blade. Leda stuck her sword in a table. Artag reacted like he'd been hit, performing a dance, equal parts astonishment and dismay. See here, would you mind leaving your shoes outside? I don't want to deal with whatever you stepped in. You should have let me go. It'd be gone, and that'd be the end of it. You'd also be dead. Did you see that crowd? I can handle myself, Hardin. You're tough, but not that tough. The gangs could make Esterling far less welcome for us hunters. They could try. And that girl he says he has. What will become of her? Another strumpet in Madame's employ? I warned you not to let your little vendetta get the better of you. Stop and think. Aleda gritted her teeth like a beast. That thing needs to die. Excuse me. I couldn't help but overhear your incessant nattering. And I can only conclude this pertains to AJ and my sister. Where is she? With the madam. Then she's a dead woman. Hold there, Professor. You don't just go out and kill the madam. Never mind that she has an army of grifters between you and her. But let's not forget who allows the shadowy bits of Estelaring to operate in the first place. The royals. She's employed by one of them. The duchess in one of those castles up there. Going toe-to-toe -to -toe with that madwoman means placing a bright bullseye on her forehead for the world to see. Don't fret, old boy. She'll never see me coming. Now that I know where she is, no one is going to stop me. Let's go now, Wither. We still have time before the sun rises. Arden remained between Aleda and the door and said, No, Aleda. I can't let you. You're smart enough to see that's what AJ wants. To goad you into coming for him through the madam. It would cause the city to fall apart. He's hitting you where it hurts. You're so blind that you can't see he's using Cece's memory to manipulate you. He slit her throat, Hardin. After I did what he asked, after I did this to myself, he still took her from me. Didn't you hear what he said? It's still just a joke to him. I know, I know. She was my friend too. The whole guild has it out for AJ for what he did to you too. But right now, he has us in a corner. We need to be patient. We know AJ. He won't just sit around for long. He'll create an opening for us eventually. 
You need to calm down and wait. I agree. I don't know this, AJ, but I understand the situation. Elena, if you do something now, you might kill this bastard. But the consequences would be so much worse for everyone else. Professor, I think you might have to give this some thought as well. If it becomes apparent that you killed Madam, and that you were staying here, it might result in the same madness that a guild bounty hunter killing a mob boss would. This is complicated. We should all rest and meet with the rest of your crew in the morning. I'll give everyone a day. If we don't have a solid plan, I'm killing the old gal myself. I will have my sister freed. She's all that matters. Besides, you don't understand the danger everyone is in while AJ has her. What do you mean? Artag asked. Thunderous applause echoed through the city, like a mountain being split open. Everyone turned to the windows in surprise. Something similar to that might happen, I'm afraid. Cacophony and destruction were more than Gafgarn could have ever expected. He had seen walls topple from stones of catapults, heard their crumblings, but those were nothing compared to whatever this was. After the initial thunderclap, a cloud of dust and dirt filled the room like the flood from a dam. Candles and torches blew out, heralding the rock that pelted them like hail. It was as if the pathway ahead were the throat of an earthen beast who with a roar vomited its stony contents violently outward. He coughed and hacked and could hear nothing for a few moments but an irritating whine. A hand pulled him from the scruff of his cloak in the direction of the explosion. Afgarn allowed himself to be drawn through the darkness, holding his hammer tightly while he focused on his footing amid rubble and collapsed earthen works. After climbing a ramp of dirt and stone, firelight revealed an opening. Beyond, it was apparent they were in the basement of a stone structure. Some wooden objects within, feeding bright flames. The collapse of the stone above revealed several stories, and a gaping hole through which Gafkarn could scarcely make out the silhouette of a tall, imposing structure in the waning dark. Windows were lit with lantern and torchlight. The shadows of figures limbed within them. In the room, through the thick firelit dust, he could see the bodies of Madame's gangsters clad in spiky black, alongside the shiny armor and lion-emblazoned tabards of city guards. That's a castle up there, Gafgarn explained. We're on castle grounds. Can't get anything past you, can I, big guy? Falk said. Stay cool, move quickly, before everyone in that keep is on top of us. You snuck us into a castle, then let everyone in it know where we are. Yes, and? You've killed us. Especially if we sit around talking, right? With all the dust, rubble, and dead, it was easy to miss the unharmed stacks of lockboxes lining the walls and toppled on the floor. The same lockboxes carried by the strong-armed thugs collecting coin on the streets. Even with the annoying dust, Gafgarn grinned. Falk's agents organized a chain, passing the lockboxes back into the tunnel. What you so happy about, boss? Doran asked. The madam, Sully said. Fox is stealing the people's money back. This must be the Duchess's keep. Clever, Amadi said. Dangerous. She'll appreciate we're on the ground. Our graves are already dug, eh, Gaff? We're in it now. Two arms, friends. Their forces muster. Into the room barreled gangsters and guard alike. Leathers with spikes and breastplates bearing the crest of the lion. 
They came into the dust-choked chamber like blind specters, tripping over rubble and howling. Gafgarn took full advantage. He charged forward, butting his hammer into the gut of a thug. He savored the crack of ribs, then swung into the breastplate nearest him, crushing it inward. No chairs! No benches! No beds! He wound his arm around another's like a snake, breaking it in two places and causing its dagger to clatter harmlessly on the floor. Just a fight! An arrow zipped past his face. He followed its trajectory back to its bow. Already taut, a shaft ready. Gafgarn eyed a lockbox at his feet, wound up a mighty swing, and snapped it into the air. It hurled through the loose shaft into its sender's face. Oi, Gaff! Torn said, lugging another box. Fire at will! Aha! Gafgarn laughed as he batted the box from the air, turning it into another deadly missile. As lines of the gorillas continued passing lockboxes down the tunnel, Sully stood by them, loosing her own arrows into the dust. She aimed upward, where archers took their places on the ruined floors above. More of Falk's troops rushed out. Pieces of the wooden barricades held above them like shields. Many arrows plunked harmlessly into the shabby improvised cover, but some found their way to unprotected targets. More reinforcements dragged the wounded and dead back down the tunnel. Beside Sully, Falks and Amadi stood between the gorillas and death, spear and blade flashing. I thought you wouldn't kill guards. Sully tagged a bowman above, aiming for Amadi's back, the sniper wailing as he fell into the chaos. That was before. Those who allow injustice are themselves unjust. I'll cut them down, same as the rest. Amadi slid a blade aside with her own before cutting into her attacker's belly. How quickly you changed your mind. If the good guards can be rotten at their core, why not the other way around? Why couldn't a criminal be a good person at heart? A poor jest. Trust a thief not to steal, a murderer not to kill. There is no former criminal, none good at heart. You harm others or you don't, and if you do, you're punished. Trusting the wicked to right their ways is negligent, so you mustn't. That's how you keep a society safe. Like Yodoru, you mean? Like the Benai Fadwa? Yes. Yet you've killed many with so little effort. Only those deserving. I wonder how many you and your Benai Fadwa could have helped instead of killed. There is little crime in Yodoru because of the Benai Fondwa. The only prey are those who would harm others, and we're happy to hunt them. Injustice comes in many forms. Like, what would you do to me if... If what? Do you folks gab this much all the time? Falks grumbled, shoving his spear into a thug before dodging a guard's sword. He danced with his opponent for mere moments before tripping him as he advanced, then skewered his neck. Ugh. Can we please focus on the task at hand? Sully loosed another arrow and asked, How much time? Yes, we're going to be overrun, Fox. Seconds, friends. We've nearly taken all we need. Just hold the line. Where did all your forces come from? There weren't this many in that room. Not the only room we built, love. We have enough for the task at hand, but not for the fight, so stay focused. Gafgarn, I appreciate the enthusiasm, but we need the coin. Stop smashing people's faces in with them. 
Another lockbox soared through the air into a steel-clad chest, knocking its target into a breathless repose. Dorn and Gafgarn looked to Falks, exuberance and glee upon their faces. Fine, Gafgarn grumbled, swinging into an unfortunate that crumbled into the ground. Another charged Gafgarn's back, a dagger in her hand. Dorin rushed to protect him, but tripped over a stone and thudded into the ground hard. Gafgarn step-sided the knife, wrapped a massive bicep around the stabbing arm, then slammed his head into the thug's face. She fell back, bloody and unconscious. Pudding, Dorin! Axe, Gaff! Gafgarn moved just enough to prevent an axe from cleaving his face off his head. He slammed his hammer into the man's leg, breaking it loudly. Oh, a little help here, boss! Dorin raised his sword to block an incoming spear thrust. Gafgarn kicked his underling towards the rebels, leaving only the stone for the hungry spearhead to bite. Gafgarn swung hard, breaking through spear handle into the wielder's chest, crumpling breastplate and ribs. Learn to save yourself, Doran! Balks helped Doran to his feet. He pointed his spear back down the hole, striking a dramatic pose atop the rubble as spears sped by him and pronounced, Scrape up your last coin and got your last crook. The coffers are empty. The lines receded into the tunnel. Anyone not carrying a barricade shield cradled a lockbox under each arm. Those who were armed backpedaled, funneling any attackers into the narrow tunnel. Gafgarn and Amadi held the regard, slashing and smashing shoulder to shoulder as the rebels retreated behind them. Sully took pot shots from between them. Dorn at her side with a bow he pilfered from the dead. Falks fought amongst them, stabbing out with his spear as Gafgarn and Amadi gave him openings. The guards and gangsters edged slowly down the tunnel now, close enough to keep sight, but far enough to avoid hammer and blade. With our excitable chums finally finding themselves wanting, how about we beat it? How are we going to escape? He'll be right behind us. Come now. You didn't think I threw this party without a proper exit, did you? The crone is our chauffeur. Crone? The entourage quickened from a careful retreat into a full tunnel-borne flight. They charged past the chamber where once the force was only mustered, deeper into the dark passageways, with the castle's troops on their heels. It was dark until Gafgarn spotted a familiar sight. A small, sparkling flame dancing on the floor. He stopped next to it and noticed it was moving back the way he came. Hey! An aged voice cracked next to him. How long a stare is it going to take you to remember what happened the last time you saw a lit fuse? What's an old woman doing with a group of revolutionaries? An old woman from another country, mind you. A prettier one. There was far better drink. Less stuff to blow up, though. And they called people by their name. Mm, then what's your name? None of your business, you big bald moron. A guard charged through the dark, past the fuse, straight at Gafgarn with an upraised sword. Gafgarn blocked his swing with his hammer's haft, then kicked out at a knee. It was enough to unbalance his opponent, even through his armor. With another shove, the guard fell back, and Gafgarn followed through with a mighty swing. Unworthy foe handled, the giant turned back to the crone. 
It's not safe. You have no idea, beast-headed buffoon. I know what's about to happen, and all you're doing is standing there. So are you. Yeah, waiting for your thickness to pick me up. You just gonna leave me here to die? In one motion, Gafgarn scooped her up and cradled her in one arm. She truly was like a tiny child, a wrinkly, angry child. Great. Now how about we beat it like the Foxman said before we're eating dirt and fire with the addle-brained castle bastards behind us? Get old Lilith out of here. Gafgarn bolted as fast as he could. He came to an intersection and found Sully, Doran, and Amadi waiting. Doran was waving a torch emphatically towards a path and sprinted down it as Gafgarn got closer. The sound of Falk's crew echoed lightly from the same direction. Move your horses, please! A deafening explosion thundered from behind them, urging them to follow Doran's direction. They ran as hard as they could. The rumble of tunnels caving in behind them heralded a cloud of rock and dust. Gafgarn's eyes stung and lungs choked as he was reminded of his passionate hate for the airborne detritus. They and the fox ran until only their hard footfalls and sharp breaths accompanied them. Deeper in the city, in the shadow of a hill, rested a red-roofed estate. Even in the dark hours of the early morning, most of its many windows flickered with candlelight. Guards in spiked leather roamed the small gardens within a walled enclosure. Torchlight illuminated blue and purple hearts painted on the facade of the building. Within, beyond the tinkling of glasses, giggling women, and rustling behind closed doors, Ursula fumed quietly in a luxurious bath. The door to her quarters opened and closed gingerly. She listened to the soft booted feet, walked towards her until AJ revealed himself from behind a folding screen. How's the girl? Gosh, comfortable. It's not a hair on her head touched. As far as touching goes, I'm not worried about the hair on her head. Hmm. If she worked for me, she'd be even safer. Hmm? No one mistreats my girls. You know, you could leave her with me. Cute little thing would roll a lot of coin into the above-ground operations. As fun as it might be to infuriate the good doctor with such a titillating tableau, the girl supposedly has a secret, and I intend to find out if it's true. Well, now... What's the secret? Can't spoil the fun, madam. But if it's true, she's set to overturn more than just a mattress. Shame. Shame. Well, a deal's a deal. I'll keep her safe. You get me the wolf. Using that hat of yours worked. Brought him right to us. It's just unfortunate that sad excuse for an assassin showed up. And the guard. Money didn't speak loud enough for the captain, huh? Ah, he won't be speaking at all soon enough. 
And he's never betrayed me before, and he never will again. I'll hang him from Nessio's arms in a church square. Ah. Ah. I'll show him. Well, he followed someone's directions. That must be frustrating. She gave him a look that nearly froze the water she was in. I'm pretty sure I know who. The walking dead that robbed us after the ambush on Gafgarda. The fox. Yeah, they've stolen from us before. Just annoying, but, but now, now I'll find every last one of them if I have to burn down the city to do it. Come now, madam. Your duchess might not like that. You can't squeeze too hard. Cousin to King Ethel, she could squeeze much harder than you. <laughs> oh, they invaded her keep. Some of that coin was hers. I, uh, well, I have a feeling she'll be happy to let me do as I please. <laughs> and Gafgarn? He was with them. Do you know, I think I'll be skinning the fox and the wolf at one time. What's your angle, clown? This can't be just about the girl. Vengeance is a wonderful thing to behold, madam. Giving you the opportunity is my pleasure. Across the city, atop a similar keep on a similar hill, a cloaked figure sat in a darkened office. The first rays of the new day's sunrise tickled at the edges of the gloom. The door, carved with lion inlays, opened, allowing the light of a single candle to enter. A bearded man in eloquent blue robes threaded with gold came, candlelight gleaming off his many jeweled rings. He saw the cloaked figure and quickly shut the door behind him. Mm, you called? She purred, flipping her hood back to reveal red curly locks. Benji, I may have use of your services once more. And you shall refer to me as Lord. That understood? Fine. So who can I kill for you, my lord? First, what did you discover? Is the one who killed the Baron in Esselring? The wolf is here, just as the missive said. And this informant, is he or she really to be trusted? Whoever it is told us where to find the wolf. And I knew Boss Hor would get to him at some point. Her weakness is in town. She's bound to make mistakes you can take advantage of. Trust him or not, things are working out in your favor. What about the rumors that some jester... Wanted for the murder of Hausto's first tentacle really killed the bulging baron. Captain Teta's reports pointed to him. <laughs> Do the words of some washed-up captain at the edge of the kingdom matter? It's clear no one saw the baron's killer. And you have this foreigner that just happened to be in Hausto at the same time? How could anyone get to the baron? He was a fat bastard, but he was tough. A war hero, if you'd believe King Essel. This Kafgan killed Smidgen, the bandit king. Word on the street is he might even be the barbarian from the east uniting the clans. That's ludicrous. Why would he be here? Killed a bandit king? Killed a baron? Now he's in Esterling, the seat of the southernmost kingdom? On the same night your cousin's keep is assaulted by the fox? 
What could he be after, my lord? Fine. There's enough proof that the king could believe the foreigner was responsible, even that he's here to cause unrest. If I could deliver him to the king, I might get the opening I need. And if Ursula crosses the lines, I think she will, your enemies might just destroy each other. What do you mean? The wolf was with the fox during the attack. He was seen with a Hunter's Guild member yesterday, even visiting the guild post with her. Later, the hawk, I think. The madam is already going to tear through the city to bring the resistance down. You know the Duchess will approve it. But I wouldn't be surprised to see her cross the guild as well. She'll have to go through Elena to get Gafgon, right? <laughs> the fox, the wolf, the hawk, the madam, and the lion. This is going to get messy, but yes, yes, it's the best chance I have. I'll consort with the king, get him on my side. That means you can't kill the mountain savage until I tell you. And the fox? Surely he's a problem. Not mine. Not yet. We'll take him out at the right time. After we let him kill the king. Happy birthday, Agapantha. I know I spoiled the surprise two nights ago, but here it is, the four-foot steel pike given to me by the king. Grandpa, thank you, it's perfect. With a weapon like this, I will become the greatest pikeman in the kingdoms. I'm sure you will, Agapantha. You've learned a lot in your young life and you practice hard. You've earned that pike. Do you think Aunt Sully would be proud of me? Oh, I know she would be. I just wish you were here to see how much you're grown. Now I'm going to head into town to pick up some things for an extra birthday supper. It's not every day you turn 15. At least I think you're 15. We don't know how old you were when you entered the orphanage. At any rate, we're going to celebrate. Oh, Grandpa, how can I thank you? This is my best birthday ever. I'm glad for you, Agapantha. All I want is for you to be happy. Hope you had a good party yesterday. Sorry I wasn't there. I had to meet with the guard from Hostel to report the tentacle we saw. I kept the ring you found secret and quiet, though. I want time to investigate that ourselves. It was fun, Grandpa. I've never danced so much in one night. Did you spend all of our money on those musicians? They were excellent. Don't you worry about that, Agapantha. I've still got pull around here, you know. I'm going to get what we'll be needing for your special supper. I'll be back soon. Take that! Ha ha! You think you could best me? My trainer was the most revered pikeman in all the kingdoms. This pike was gifted to him by the king himself. And now I shall pass that gift on to you. Pointed and first. Happy birthday, Aga. Ah. If you didn't want honey cakes, all you had to do was say so. Oh, Quinn, 
Ben, I'm sorry. Grandpa gave me his steel pike as a birthday gift, and I just wanted to try it out. Are they ruined? That depends. Do you like your honey cakes covered in dirt? I don't. Oh, I've ruined them. I'm so sorry. Relax, Aggie. They're just honey cakes. Here, Lovac. Come here, boy. The honey cakes are all yours, boy. See? Now Lovac is happy, too. Nothing ruined. It's your birthday, Aggie. Can't have you upset. Now show me your gift. This is the solid steel pike Grandpa was given by the king himself in honor of his service defending the kingdom. Wow, it's a very nice pike. Very nice? Are you insane, Quindebrandt? This pike is magnificent. With it, I could face off against swords and maces and best every single one of them. Watch! Oh, you've gotten really good with that. Someday, I will be the best pikeman in the kingdoms, just like Grandpa. I don't doubt it. Did you get anything else? Grandpa's going to make me a special birthday supper tonight. He just went into town to get supplies. Oh, I sort of got a gift yesterday. From the lobsters. From the lobsters? Yeah. This was in one of the lobsters' claws. It's a ring. I know it was a gift from the lobsters because when I was in the church orphanage, there were lobsters there that would follow me around and bring me gifts all the time. Wow, that's beautiful. Look at the colors. Don't touch it. Grandpa says it could be dangerous, so we mustn't put it on. Those are great presents, but mine is better than both of them. Honey cakes are delicious, but they can't possibly be better than this pike. <laughs> you can't eat a pike, but the honey cakes weren't your real present. They weren't? What is? That would spoil the surprise. Come on, I'll take you to it. I don't know. Grandpa will be back soon. We'll be back long before supper. Don't you want to see your surprise? Of course I do. Then let's go. Come on, Lovac. Come on, boy. Where are we going? It wouldn't be a surprise if I told you. Just a little bit further. This is the farm we're looking for. Ah, here we are. Is that a dead animal? Yes, it is. That's a terrible surprise. I know that tracking and killing is what you do, Quinn, and I love that about you. Grandpa and I are always happy to have some rabbit in our stew, but is this a goat? Why would you kill a goat? I didn't kill it, Aggie. Why would I kill a goat? Haven't you heard what's been going on in town? It's lobster season. Grandpa and I have been busy trapping, and I don't venture into town except on market days. Livestock have been turning up dead the last few weeks. First chickens, then goats and pigs, and then yesterday a cow. Something is killing them, and it isn't me. A wolf? Or perhaps a bear? That's what people said, but the wounds on the animals don't look like a wolf or a bear. Or any animal I'm familiar with, actually. This is the first carcass I found before someone in town moved it. There are fresh tracks from the predator. This is your present. My present is a dead goat and fresh tracks? No, Aggie. Your present is an adventure. With my tracking skills and your fighting skills, we're going to track down whatever's been attacking the livestock, and we're going to kill it. We'll be heroes. Don't you want to be a hero? Of course I do. I knew you would. Now, come look at these tracks. I've never seen anything like them. There's a large grouping of prints, but they're small, like the tiniest hooves. And there are so many of them. But then there are these larger prints, which there are less of, and every once in a while, this drag mark. I thought maybe it was dragging the goat, but why wouldn't the drag mark be there the whole time then? The number of prints would lead me to believe it's a pack of beasts, but the different types, 
maybe a group of different creatures banding together? Hang on. I think I know what these marks are. The grouping of the prints and the drag marks? I've seen them before, many times. But that's not possible. It can't be. You know what they are? What creature's tracks do you know that I would not? A creature I work with every single day. These are lobster tracks. I often keep some lobsters aside on a good catch and have lobster races in the sand. I've seen the tracks many times. The small prints are their legs. They have a lot of them, which is why you thought there was a pack. The larger marks are their claws. They don't need to use them unless they're moving fast, so there are less prints. The drag mark is from their tail, which only brushes the ground sometimes. There's only one problem. What? In order to make these particular tracks, the lobster would have to be huge. Five feet long at least. Lobsters don't get that big. Well, this one does. And I know what direction it went in. What do you say, Aggie? Want to hunt a giant lobster? I've been hunting lobsters for years. Let's go. walking a few miles now. Are you sure this giant lobster came this far? Nope. I lost them a while back. It's just been guesswork since then. What? <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Relax. Remember I said I'm a pretty good tracker? Well, these tracks are unmistakable. It definitely came this way. Why would it stay out of the water like this? Lobsters are bottom feeders. They don't just up and go for hikes along the shore. They don't attack livestock either. Lobster or not, I'm sure the culprit is whatever's been making these tracks. I wasn't expecting to come so far. What about Grandpa's birthday dinner? I need to get back home pretty soon. I'm sorry, Aggie, but this is bigger than a birthday. We have people's livelihoods at stake, and what happens when people start getting hurt? We need to hunt this thing while its tracks are still fresh. Okay, can we even handle it when we find it? Come now, between your lengthy pike and my tracking skills, we'll be fine. At least we won't be surprised. Admit it, you're excited. Don't find any excuses to go back. I'm not looking for excuses, you doof. Fine, yes, I'm excited. Let's find this thing. That's more like it. Well, sun's gonna go down soon. We might have to find a safe place to stay. Hmm, how about there? Well, look at that, a cozy beach cabin. And these tracks don't stray too far from it either. Okay. Let's take a closer look. See anything around your end? Plenty of sand, not much else. The inside seems like a cabin. All very surprising. Funny. All right, we'll spend the night here and continue in the morning. Wow, it's pretty dusty in here. I wonder who it belongs to. Looking at it, I'd say either someone who never gets a day off or no one. You've got rot setting into some of the wood here. Careful where you step. It's getting pretty dark. You might want to light that torch of yours. Good idea. Get warm and settle in. So, you really think those tracks were made by lobsters? 
I work with them all the time. I remember letting them loose when I was younger. Sully and I would watch them scurry away in the sand. Those tracks absolutely look the same, just huge. How big do you think they might be? I don't know. Like a wolf or a bear? Wow. How could they get so big? I don't know, but so far all the evidence points to our red-shelled pinchy friends. A pinchy? Yes. They pinch. I know you're unfamiliar with them, Mr. Hunter, but they have claws that pinch. All right, all right. Don't you get pinchy too. I'm sorry. What are you insinuating? Uh, nothing. Um, so, so when we find one, if we can, we should bring it back as proof. If it's as big as I think it is, that might be hard. We don't have to bring it home alive. We just need something to show the elders what's going on. Otherwise, they'll just think we're crazy. Maybe it's not as abandoned as we thought. Right. Hello? Who goes there? That doesn't sound like the owner kicking out some squatters. No, and it's not some late-night vacationers either. We're gonna have to see who or what that is. We'd have to exit the cabin to do that. I can't see anything through the windows. Yep. I'm guessing this might not be very safe. Maybe not at all. Grab your pike. I'll lead the way with the torch. Don't forget your sword. Well, yes, that too. Do you see anything? No. Let's, uh, let's go around to the side. I don't want to be out here when the sun's completely gone. Ah! <coughs> Knocked the wind right out of me. <coughs> it's going down to the shoreline. There, you see it? Just barely. Like a silhouette. But that's not like any lobster I've ever seen. What in olive oil could that be? It's like half of it was a lobster and the bottom half was all tentacles like an octopus. I can't believe it. Oh, quick, get up. It's getting away. Wait, wait for me. You need the light. No, it's in the water. Unbelievable. Look how fast it is. Well, there goes our proof. What do we do now? No doubt about it now. Monsters from the sea are attacking the village. Proof or not, we need to let the elders know what we saw. We're going to go back and talk to the wisest of the village about massive tentacled lobsters? When? Just the top half of that creature, the lobster bit, was bigger than a man. Do you really think they'll believe us? We have to do something, and we have to do it quick before that thing comes back to town. It's dark, but if we leave now and keep a good pace, we shouldn't be long. It was only a few miles. Then we better get moving. Gafgarn awoke feeling refreshed but achy. The light of a bright midday sun beaming across his room from an open window. The day prior was a long one, a never-ending deluge of chaos. As trying as it was, and as frustrating as AJ had been, 
It was the best time he'd had in the kingdoms yet. He rose from the rug-covered floor, naked, but for the stubborn, shining boots. After returning to the wasted cadaver, as the sun's first rays danced in the sky, he saw fit to clean himself before resting. Artag suggested running a warm bath for him, but Gafgarn instead took to the buckets of cold water and rinsed over a basin. His people usually clean by pails of river water, plentiful and fresh among their forests and mountains. Sure, he enjoyed the heat from a natural hot spring now and then, but not in a tub submerged in his own filth. If I clean myself, I do it right. After the rinse, he slept without dressing, exhaustion finally catching up with him. He donned a spare shirt and trousers Artag supplied him. They were the largest the diminutive innkeeper could find, but Gafgarn still found the shirt constricting and the trousers too high. Getting them on around the boots proved troublesome, and he'd torn the hem of one of the legs. Weather permitting, his customary clothing would be drying on a line behind the inn. In the state he, Amadi, Sully, and Doran were when they returned, Artag insisted on having their clothing properly washed. Doran lay snoring in his bed on one side of the room, while Sully's was empty on the opposite. He figured she must be downstairs. Afgarn made to leave, but after only a moment of hesitation, grabbed his hammer resting in the corner. The way Esterling welcomed him, he thought better of leaving it anywhere but on his body. Making his way down the stairs to the main room, he heard Sully's excited voice. The tunnels collapsed behind us, rocks and dirt flying everywhere, with Gafgarn carrying that little grouchy woman the whole time. Then we cut up with Falks, who thanked us for the help, and said he'd be in touch, asked us not to leave, and that this was only the beginning. Yes, he said seeing the people rise would be a cool thing, something we shouldn't miss. Amadi added, she wore a robe almost identical to the one she always wore. Gafgarn thought she must have spares in her pack. Such delightful colloquialism. What does that even mean, I wonder? Wither intoned. I think he might be from further northwest originally. Or maybe his family was. People out that way have a funny way of talking. Well, now you're all hip deep in his crap, and you're staying at my inn. Our tag? You're used to keeping the guild's guests. This shouldn't rattle you so, Aleda said. Yes, folks hunting down the meanest and most dangerous in the kingdoms. Revered and feared, not stoking a revolution and risking the ire of every gang in Estelring. The wasted cadaver is only safe as the fear of the guild's reprisal allows. Start stirring their underworld's pot, that risk starts looking worthwhile if it gets them the bastards responsible for their troubles. Not to mention what the crown might do. Gafgarn's boots clomped as he descended, drawing the attention of all present. Finally, our resident Goliath awakens. I have a mind to throw you all out after this morning. I told you to be careful, that the city was ready to burst. But instead of laying low, you decided to be the flint that lights the tinder. Indeed. You couldn't have erred on the side of caution and subtlety for once, old boy. I love the grandeur of your reckoning as much as the next. But the pure tonnage of Esteling's excrement is about to come crashing down on all of us. It's a lovely mess that's likely to stain. What? We've been talking about last night, boss. <clears throat> come, master, have a seat. Or kneel, or whatever it is you do, and eat. You'll be better weather the thrashing you deserve on a full stomach. 
Gafgarn stood at the table while a waitress came from the kitchen to place a hearty plate in front of him. The smell and resulting tummy lit in his stomach reminded Gafgarn that he hadn't eaten anything since early the day before. Salivating, he took a knee and ravenously tore into the feast before him. Speaking of last night, do you usually sleep naked? Yes. Is there any way you can, I don't know, not do that when I'm sleeping in the same room? Why? It's not normal for people to just be naked around each other if there isn't a specific reason to, Gafgan. You probably made her feel uncomfortable. <clears throat> the kingdoms only get stranger. Artag, your inn will be fine. The guild hunts the most dangerous villains because we're made up of the most skilled warriors and trackers. Together, we'd rival an army. The entire city could burn, and two places would be left untouched. The guild post and the wasted cadaver. Still, the city would burn. Oi! The way you were talking, that was going to happen anyway. Doran commented as he slunk into a chair. Gafgarn assumed the smell of food drew his underling. The fervent way Doran waved down a waitress. I don't know. Not this way. Somehow this seems worse. What? Gafgarn asked Midchu. <laughs> Such effluence of language from you this morning, old boy. The captain of the guard was found murdered not long after your return. They strung him up on the statue of Neshul, out for everyone to see, bloody and shining. Ironic, with all the life-giving and metamorphosis the gods attributed to. The churches and fleas, I imagined. Neshul. The statue you saw in the square, boss. He's praised as a god of change, ingenuity, and new life. Having a dead man hanging from it is just ironic, like Artog says. I'm sure that's not lost on the madam. That monster? Life? Metamorphosis? The Church of the Void teaches that Nashul places boons on the faithful, promising a transformation where we can embody our full potential. Your gods do your work for you. No wonder it takes one of your armies to match the strength of only one warband. You place your faith in unnatural beasts. Well, I doubt the church will do anything. They operate alongside the auspices of the royal families, their wills done through the military might of rulers. Kings and queens placate, protect, and enforce the church as a matter of course. It's just too ancient a tradition to ignore, particularly its power to still the masses. Don't forget the claws of Coscadil. The church's night priests? You'd sooner see Cascadil in person than one of those creepy tin cans. In any case, Ursula may have made things much harder for herself. Neshul is a god of change, after all. She sent a message to the fox, but if the church backs a revolution against crime in Ethelring in retaliation for the hanging, the people will only be that much more motivated to fight. Without the king's army, there won't be much to stop an entire city. So what does this all mean? Aleda stood and smiled. It means there's no going back. Artag said this city was a cauldron waiting to boil over. Now it seethes and roils. Ursula's declared war on the city. She's not in the shadows anymore. Which means AJ won't be either. Now's our chance to catch him. And I can have my sister. And I'll have my gauntlets. Wait now, lads and lasses. We understand what's going on here, but who's to say everyone else does? 
The folks can interpret the hanging, but the people, the royals, the church? You know what symbol has blood all over it on the guard's breastplate? The lion. Couldn't this be interpreted as an attack on the crown? Maybe King Estel will recall his army and clean out the city's criminal element. <laughs> Wishful thinking, Artag. The king might, maybe the other highbrows on the hills, but the Duke and Duchess won't. Neither will the folk who live with the extortion and violence. We can expect every side to react now. If the army's recalled, it'll take time. Ethelring could be burning when they arrive. Maybe you should think about leaving the city. Bah! The wasted cadaver be my family's. Every table, every bed, every keg be our legacy. If it's going to burn with the city, I'll be burning with it. Maybe you should leave. Telling me to leave. Who do you think you are, lass? Sounds like you need to open your eye a little wider. See who you're talking to. Elena wore a wry smile as she raised her hands in defense. All right, all right. You can stay. You know what you're doing. If you were as tall as you were sensitive, you could rival Gafgan in size. Right, right. So what are you lot going to do? Work with the fox? I like him. He's a naive fool. He's fighting for something bigger than himself to improve the lives of everyone in Esploring. He doesn't appreciate what that means. He owes his people more than just an uprising. They need guardianship and guidance. He should take the throne, organize his people, handing it off, leaving it for someone else. He risks it all falling apart. A brazen fool. Sully regarded Gafgarn's face which picked up an odd quality it had never expressed before. His eyes saw something far off, and the pains of worry tugged at his brow. I've never seen someone stand up for common people like that before. You hear about revolutions, uprisings in the past, but I never imagined I'd experience one, much less be a part of one. It just feels like the right thing to do. As opposed to what you were doing when I found you? Yeah. And what were you doing when he found you? Sully's eyes leveled with Amadi's. I was running with a crew of bandits. Thorin was too. Gafgarn killed our leader, Smidgen, and the band fell apart. We decided to follow Gafgarn after that. Bandits? So you've stolen from people? We've regularly raided shipments and caravans between cities, usually from tips from Baron Mardu of Hostel. So yes, we were bandits. What did you think we did? So you murdered as well? On our free time, we could do as we pleased, as long as we always brought back a share for the gang. Some members did awful things, and I... I did what I had to do when I had to. And you? She asked Doran. The daggers stabbing out from her eyes at him caused his face to drop. Uh, I... Life's pretty simple. Find the biggest, meanest guy and stick by his side. We were free, and no one dared to mess with us. Until Gaff, of course. So now, I stick with Gaff. We were free, and at least there we weren't victims of the kingdom's corruption. Predators instead of prey. You would know. She looked to Gafgarn. You took them with you? Why didn't you kill them? Alone, in a foreign country. Having people that know it well is helpful. They were willing to follow, that's all that mattered. She unsheathed her blade. It didn't matter that they fed off the lives of others? No. It doesn't matter that I or my people could have killed either of their fathers in battle. Either. What matters is what we do now. It matters to me. 
All this time I've been traveling with and aiding villains and killers. The world is better off without their ilk, Wolf. You're as much a killer. Same as me. Don't you dare compare me to your little followers. And what else would they compare you to, sister? Everyone turned to see a man black of skin, with a robe in the same style of Amadi's, but green where hers was white. He wore the same type of hat over a middle-aged face with a deep scar lining a wide jaw. Around it grew a trimmed black beard. A hand rested on the pommel of a long sheathed sword, not unlike Amadi's. What else would you expect, Imadi? The world is such a harsh place, with people like these carrying the poor values they have. Amadi turned, blade still in hand. Gafkarn could swear she was actually turning pale. Or do. I should kill you where you stand. Why? Because I am right? That this world would only be better with the Order ruling it? I know you killed our master and framed the dynasty. That again, sister. Your accusations prolong the division of the Binai Fandwa. Emperor Balo always had a distaste for your Doru tradition. Is it so hard to believe that he would have our beloved Master Indwa poisoned? We were prosperous. Our people safe. No, I do not believe the royal family would risk our peace so. Now, now, sister. You know our history as well as I. The Binai Fandwa was betrayed once before. Hundreds of years ago by a different dynasty, sure. But for the same reason. The power to use our order for whatever means they wish. Like war? Like the war you suggest? Emperor Balo's war would have been for the dynasty's gain. Power, land, wealth. With his betrayal, his family dethroned, the opportunity arises for us to spread balance. The war I suggest is only to share the kind of prosperity, safety, and peace that the Binai Fandwa has always promised the people of Yodul. As he spoke, six other robed warriors entered, their faces hidden beneath the shadow of their hats. One raised his eyes to meet Amadis. It was Kai Len. Ordu continued. The Binai Fandwa has no need for land or wealth. In our teachings on balance is all the power we could ever want. And it is the power to make the world a better place if only we take our chance. Have you not seen the evil that plagues our world outside of Yoduru? Have you learned nothing after you fled in denial of the truth? I ran because you began hunting anyone that disagreed with you. This doesn't need to end in violence, sister. We will still accept our brethren back in this tumultuous time, should they only accept the new destiny of the Binai Fandwa. I'm not interested in your destiny of greed. Greed? The great avian Aru watches as all of our world Ehuna teeters on his great talon. When I look around outside of Yodoru, I can see Ehuna is not balanced. Maybe because we've kept the balance in Yodoru for so long, the world has not already toppled into Morori. 
But look out there. Just look. I've seen it. The whole disgusting, unjust lot of it. Then what more do you need? For you to tell the truth. Excuse me, old boy. Wither interjected, walking calmly to Amadi's side. But we were having a bit of a conversation here, and certainly have enough of an itinerary of disaster without you mucking about. Is there any way you would take the suggestion to plan this little family reunion some other time? No, not for you. That's the only polite suggestion you're gonna get. Alayda said as she unsheathed her sword and hefted her shield. I've learned of your order, Hunter. One I would almost respect if it stood for more than coin. You hunt the mark and exact justice, yet leave your country's corruption intact. You even have a presence in this very city, which is ready to burn around you, yet the guild does nothing. This is what I mean, Imadi. In the North, even those with the power to make a difference lack the will to do what is necessary. I will not obey the command of a murderer. Stop, Gafgarn said, swallowing the last of his meal. He stood taking a mug of ale with him. If you've come here to do something, then do it. Otherwise, this conversation is over. It's getting pretty boring anyway. You know I'm right too, Wolf. <clears throat> the kingdoms are strange. Many of the people weak, but not all of them, he said, looking to Sully. Besides, if anyone's going to conquer them, it's going to be me. Right. And your boots, those which landed you in some kind of curse. I wonder how you came of those. Not a gift, I imagine. Gafgarn huffed in response, his hand reaching back for his hammer. All right, enough. Our tag announced from the bar. He made sure to place a light foot on a very specific floorboard. I own this tavern, and I'm demanding that you leave. I don't care much about your plans, but it sounds to me like you respect the value of life in common folk. These are my guests, and you're harassing them. To the door, outsiders. Yes, yes. Well, I only came to talk to the sister. We'll show ourselves out. The rest of his group in robes left the way they came. Kailan shook his head at Imadi. Ordu continued. Imadi, I'm going to let you see what the depravity of the kingdoms commonly leads to. You're a peacekeeper, a proud warrior, but you've never experienced the bloodshed of revolt. Ours was hundreds of years ago, so maybe I can excuse your ignorance one last time. Next I see you, you will make your decision, and I shall do what I must. If any of your new friends stand in our way, they die. Goodbye, sister. With that, he turned and left. The only sound in the tavern is wooden clogs against the floor. After the door closed, most breathed a sigh of relief and disarmed. Artag shifted his weight behind the bar, sliding his foot off the panel. Gafgarn finished his tankard. Amadi remained clutching her sword, staring at the door while sweat dripped down her forehead. Elena approached her and placed a hand on her shoulder. Stare any longer and you'll set it on fire. He's gone. Sully peered at Amadi curiously. Are you afraid of him? 
Amadi's eyes shifted only momentarily to meet Elatus, and she visibly relaxed. She sheathed her blade, then turned to face Sully. I'm not as afraid of him any more than I hate him. He's a murderous liar. You're very confusing. The way you talk about Ethelring, I'd expect you to support his opinion. It's sick what you people allow to happen. That his way, it's not our place. He's just another tyrant. Suddenly, a little boy sprinted into the inn. Everyone watched as he bolted straight to Gafgarn without a word. He jut his hand out towards the giant, offering him a folded letter. Gafgarn grabbed it, his magnificent paw eclipsing the boy's tiny hand. As Gafgarn began unfolding the paper, the boy took barely a moment to peer curiously at the group before he sprinted back outside without a word. What's that about? A letter from our dear fox, no doubt. Yes. What does he want? For us to go outside. What? He's invited us to go for a jaunt. Take in the glowing sights. <laughs> What's the fool mean by that? Arden sniggered. We'll have to go out there and find out. I've had enough of sitting around anyway. I really don't think you should get involved. You suggest we simply stay here? We end up fighting for the revolutionaries. Word will get out the guild took sides. Against the crown. Against the gangs. Both have a similar outcome. The city goes up in flames. It'll be survival. And maybe we get an opening to AJ. So I'm going. You want to keep me out of trouble? Then keep up. I don't want to hear any more of your crap. Whoa. Save the stabbing for your sword. Fine. We go get AJ if the chance arises. And I get half the bounty. I don't care, as long as I'm the one who runs him through. That's all you, girl. One thing, Gafgarn said as he lifted himself up and made his way to the rear. He returned with his wolf cloak pulled over his shaven head. Boss, are you sure you should wear that? After the raid, you're going to be pretty recognizable. He raised a mighty eyebrow like the beam of a battering ram and allowed his grizzled, scarred visage to hit her with all its gate-crashing force as he looked down at her. Right. I guess you'll stand out no matter what. Never mind. I suppose I'll be along as well. The city leaps in the void and our dear hunters kill the famed albino villain. I can murder anyone left that's stupid enough to be in between my sister and me. Oh yes, that's great. A whole lot of you hit the streets to join in on the mayhem. Meanwhile, I'll wait for you to come back for your coach and your clothes with a trail of chaos behind you. Yes, old boy. Would you kindly gather said vestments and prepare the aforementioned wagon for a speedy departure? You may also want to prepare for the worst upon our return. Don't fret. What with all the precautions and security measures you have due to my handiwork, your fine establishment is ready for any assortment of ruckus rapscallions. Artag called after the group as they filed out the front door. If the cadaver burns because of all of you, you're building me a new inn, and I'm selling that coach and everything in it. Your narrator, Gafgarn, Dorin, Wither, Harden, the albino jester, 
and some other characters in Neanderwells are voice acted by Mike Bethel. Imadi and Sick Lilith are voice acted by Deborah Cristobal. Aleda and Madam Ursula are Julia Eve, with occasional Madam Ursula by Sarah Golding. Fox is voice acted by Zachary James Machias. Sully is voice acted by Michelle Booz and Caitlin Curtis. Our tag is Warren Clark. Vanjie the Assassin is Cindy Stevens. The Duke is voice acted by Jeremiah French. And Ordu is Joey Ochoa. I may have played a couple small parts in there myself. And production, sound design, and music is composed and edited and all that by me, Daniel French, at Fishbonia Sound Design. Stay subscribed to Chronosphere Fiction so you don't miss our Western of Outlaws and Lawmen, written by Blake Benlin. Also coming up is Season 2 of Generation Z, our futuristic zombie story. The continuation of Corporate Punishment, written by Stephen Chisholm. More sonnets from the streams will be coming. Our next guest will be Aurora Rose. Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished Episode 14, the Season 1 finale, will be uploading soon. And shortly after that will be Gafgarn Volume 5. We would appreciate it greatly if you could help out with the cost of production by going to patreon.com slash chronosphere and becoming a patron. That's it for now. I'll be dropping you off back on Earth. Until next time, keep your cosmos clean.